radio interview in the UK once where like I had to sit so close to the guy it was like our knees were like intertwined and I was like <laughs> trying to like sound really calm but it's like it's like so nervous. Welcome to Scientists Are People Too, the show where scientists share their stories. I'm your host Zoe Ford and this week I'll be chatting to Dr. Alice Taller. Alice studies forensic psychology and focuses on improving the accuracy and efficiency of facial identification systems and works to optimise how humans and facial recognition software work together to identify people. So I'm Alice Towler, I'm a cognitive psychologist and I study human face recognition. How did you get interested in psychology? Like, Yeah, so it was a bit of a windy road actually. So trotted along to first year of IT and absolutely hated it nothing what I thought it would be. I loved like the coding side of things, but other okay. than that it was just like pulling teeth out. I really didn't enjoy it. Then I sort of did a bit of reading around and I thought I wanted to do speech pathology. So then to do that, I did a few courses for speech pathology. And one of the ones I had to do for that was a first year psychology subject. And I hated all my other courses, really couldn't care less. But then this one psychology course, I would just go home every after every lecture and like basically recite the whole two-hour lecture to my mum. Whoa. Um, you know was, you like something when you tell your mum about exactly. it. Exactly. And I was talking to her about how dolphins turn off half their brain when they sleep, all these like just fascinating things that I was learning about. And my mum was like, I think you might like psychology. <laughs> like, do you think maybe you should change into that? And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So based <laughs> on that one course, I'd changed my degree into psychology. And I got interested in the decision-making and the accuracy of fingerprint examiners. And that just kind of opened my eyes to this whole world of forensic psychology and the fact that forensic science isn't really what we thought it was. There's not a whole lot of evidence-based science behind the science. Really? That's yeah. so funny because when you watch shows like CSI and Bones, you think, oh, wow, it's so sciencey. Yeah, but then, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some methods are based on you know biology and chemistry and all that stuff yeah. sort of has a solid scientific basis, but okay. other stuff has just developed based on the need to, you know, to determine how blood spatter was distributed in that way. And that hasn't really been built up on a scientific foundation of literature. Oh, so it's kind of just evolved through a need yeah, exactly. rather than actually like empirical. Yeah. And so wow. it means that there's a whole bunch of uh, techniques that are out there that don't, that there's no real evidence that they say what we think they say. So things like um, wow. bite mark analysis that recently was basically debunked as junk science and not in the way that so that they were saying you know there's no evidence that it works and that you can actually determine who bit someone right not only that but that it is unlikely that they will ever be able to do that so just basically abandon the whole thing wow um but despite that's that, pretty dramatic still, right that's... yeah absolutely and like there's still people in jail based on that evidence so, so this has real societal yeah, implications. Yeah, and that's kind of what keeps me up at night, like, and yeah. just, yeah, just that this sort of thing can happen. Wow. Yeah. So does research kind of have this, I don't know, kind of gravity to it when you're dealing with something that is so... Yeah, like, well, it makes me, it, it kind of helps on the bad days kind of remind yourself, like, why you're, why you're doing that. Um, and that, you know, at the end of the day, if your research helps someone, um, you know, not be wrongfully convicted of a crime or helps the police get, you know, get the bad guy, then, you know, it's kind of all been worth it. 
The particular application that I study is called face matching, which is the task that like border control agents do when they compare your, uh, your photograph and your passport to you standing in front of them at the counter. They have to decide if you're the same person in that photograph or if you're an imposter and you're someone different. Okay, um, so kind of like when you go to the bar or like and then you, yeah. you need to check someone's ID. I'm a bartender, so I oh, can right, do sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, I've, exactly. I've really messed up sometimes. I've, <laughs> I did someone who was like 31. I was like, I'm so sorry. You <laughs> just look so young. <laughs> they probably take those as a compliment. And she was like, oh, it's fine. I'm traveling. I get it all the time. And I was like, I still feel bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but, so that leads perfectly into my next point, which is that we are really bad at doing yeah. that. So on average, we make um, like 20% errors. Wow. So 20% of the time we get it wrong. And so sometimes it can be it can be tough to kind of convince people that, that we have something worthwhile to help them um, because yeah. understandably, you know, people who work in these, in these situations, they, you know, this is their lo- livelihood. This is yeah. their jobs. This is how they support their family and the kids. And then you have a bunch of scientists coming in and saying, actually, mm. people are really bad at doing this. Yeah. Um, and so when you offer suggestions for how to change things, they can be a little bit resistant to um, even, even admitting that there might be a problem in the first place. Wow. Um, so does your work actually involve approaching people who work in those industries? And yeah, so we actually work um, very closely with the Australian Passport Office. Okay. So they have been really, um, really great research partners. We've, our lab has been working with them for about 10 years. And basically what happens there is that when you apply for a passport, your application photo is scanned in and then they use face recognition software to search their entire database of Australian passports to see if you have a passport issued to you under a different name. And the way that that software works is it just does sort of a Google search and brings back the most similar people in the database. And then a passport officer has to decide if the applicant appears anywhere in that gallery of faces. If they do appear in there, um, it means that they might have committed identity fraud and they might have a um, passport under a different name somewhere in the system. Or it could just be like an admin error. So it's not necessarily like go get the police or anything, but it's, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah. So are there like kind of biases in the algorithms towards different features of different people, et cetera? Yes. I mean, the algorithms, they're biased, I guess, to the extent that the way that they were trained was biased. So for example, algorithms that are trained in Japan, they're probably going to be pretty bad Caucasian faces um, and vice versa. So one of the things that's really important that's becoming quite clear now that face recognition is being used more to um, you know, identify criminals and prosecute people is that you need to make sure that the algorithm isn't unfairly discriminating mm. against one group of people over another. So that's one of the key challenges that face recognition companies are dealing with at the moment because that's the sort of thing, built-in race bias, that's the sort of thing that's just going to come back and just cause huge damage to the criminal justice system and people's lives. So can you actually improve an individual person's Uh, skills in that? Yeah, so not a lot, actually. Okay. Uh, So we have this really ancient part of our brain um, that's built to recognise familiar faces. It's not built to recognise unfamiliar faces. And 
you can kind of see why because, you know, photography has only been invented in the last 200 years or so. Yeah. And so, so we've only been seeing unfamiliar faces yeah. without seeing the actual human in front exactly. of us. Like back in the day, if you saw two faces side by side that looked really similar, you would know that they were different people because they'd be attached to different bodies. Yeah. And so this is kind of a really weird task that they were asking our brains to perform. Yeah. Um, and so that means that this kind of the, the structure and the system that we've got in our brains to to perform this task isn't built to do this and so we, it, training doesn't really work that well it, there's a few oh. things that you can do to improve accuracy but in terms of like taking someone who's really not very good and you know turning them into a perfect performer that's just not possible yeah so it's kind of like the brain infrastructure isn't there yeah <laughs> exactly um but one of the solutions is to just hire people who are naturally good at face recognition, what we call super recognizers. Wow. So there are, there are huge individual differences in people's ability. So some people are so bad at face recognition, they can't even recognize themselves or friends or... Wow. Um, so when someone says, oh, I'm really bad with faces. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they might wow, have a they condition. Can actually, yeah. Yeah. It's called prosopagnosia. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, we have super recognizers who are just crazy good at face recognition. So one of the people that we've tested in our lab, she is so good at face recognition that she was telling us a story about how she was driving home from work one day and she recognised someone who she'd been to school with 10 years before. But she hadn't seen him in that time. She hadn't really been friends with him at school um, and he'd been several years. But what was really impressive was that she recognised him from her rearview mirror. He was driving the car behind hers. So just really amazing feats of recognition so those are the people that you want to be hiring for these jobs who are yeah where they're just really good naturally at the task yeah so it's easier to kind of i don't know seek out super yeah super what are they called again super recognizers super recognizers yeah, <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, average joe <laughs> yeah exactly and like in the same way that people don't really recognize that prosopagnosia patients super recognizers don't always realize that they are super recognizers you know and they probably they just go through life not realizing that other people aren't like them i think the times when they would realize that they're different to everyone else is when they like at a party or something and they appear like a stalker because they like oh (laughs) i saw you at the taylor swift concert three weeks ago i'm not a stalker i'm just a super recognizer yeah exactly (laughs) it's a condition yeah gosh guys Are there any kind of other traits that are you can be super at? <laughs> I'm just really curious to know. How. Well, I don't know. I mean, one of the, I mean, with super recognizers, one of the things we know is that your like intelligence, um, your you know, like your personality, just like doesn't have any effect on whether you're a super recognizer or not. So, really, so it could um, be anyone exactly exactly there's actually a a test the unsw face test that people can take online if they wanted to see if they're a super recognizer wow Uh, where can they find that is it so if you just google unsw face test you'll find it okay i can't remember the exact uh, web address (laughs) don't want to mislead people (laughs) it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it only takes like 15 20 minutes and you can find out wow awesome Cool. Well, thanks for chatting to me. No worries. Thank you for having me. I loved hearing about super recognizers. (laughs) That's so cool.